Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. Welcome back. With the popularity of BS and you're really taking off, it's been exciting to connect with some people that we've already connected with. And so this week, we're excited to have Mike with Dream Home Bend back on. So welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you for um, allowing me to, to come back on. I was, I was watching the, the BS and Beer last Thursday. And uh, I was like, oh my God, I, I want to chime in. <laughs> chime in. Let us, let us hear what your, your way for making high performance more cost effective would be. So, so one, I guess one thing was uh, there was kind of a discussion about designers and builders getting together on the same page. Um, and, and a big kind of thing for me is um, in 2010, I think it was, is when I started my design build business and and the reason was well one it was it was a recession that kind of leveled the playing field and i said you know what i'm gonna kind of throw my hat in the ring because a lot of people are gone and i can offer something that's unique so i've had a design business since 98 and so in 2010 I said okay i'll be the builder and the designer right let's get the designer and the builder as close as you can the same person right and so i uh, absolutely agree that if it's not the same person, because that can't always be, um, get um, get your builder and designer, you know, early during the design. Get your builder find find someone that you can get along with and and have them work together because um, that stereotypical um, finger pointing that that you get from builder and architect and architect and builder it's it's obviously not not good, but that happens all the time. It does. And it's something that our industry really needs to get over and kind of move past is, um, I thought it was really interesting when Dan was talking about having one person that he put in charge of the air barrier on the job site. Yeah. And that guy was, you know, or girl was responsible for yeah. it. I feel like it's the same in the design build community is if no one takes ownership of anything, then, you know, it just is, is, and so I've been a huge proponent of integrated design from the beginning because one, I realize I don't know everything. Like I'm out here to learn from other people. I mean, right. the most exciting thing about BS and beer is I learn something every week from, from right. you know, that's, that's the point our, for me, the part that's most exciting about, you know, being part of this community is there are people here willing to share, which is awesome. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, I bring something to the table that maybe you haven't tried yet. You bring something to the yeah. table where you're like, oh, well, you know, if this is the objective, we've done this and that can be more cost effective. And there's this really big issue in the design community right now, which is as an architect, I don't buy things. So I have a general idea of the cost of something, but I don't know when, you know, there's going to be a increase on windows or the tariff yeah. is here or if you as the builder are um you know a smaller guy you may not get as good of pricing on something that i'm recommending and you might get better pricing on something else that would have an equal and so if i go through the whole design process and then i give it to you you're either going to 
put together a, a budget based on whatever it was I put in my drawings, or you're going to do it your way. Another way <laughs> is, is really great for the client because they've either spent a lot of time for me to detail something that you're not going to build that way, or they're going to spend more money because you're going to build it the way I designed it, even though you could have saved them money, you know, in another way. And that's why yeah. I try to explain when people come to me that I don't do bid builds because yeah. I have to provide so much information and either something is going to get missed, the the builder or the team aren't already um, you know, invested in the project or they're going to go high because they can't guarantee they're going to get it. It doesn't give anybody a better product. So um, I'm 100% on board with the whole integrated team. Now, whether that's design build and you have a great builder like yourself who has design skills, or if you have a design plus build team because not everybody has the same skills. Like, could I go out and swing a hammer and build a house? Probably. Am I going to be as good at that as somebody who that is what they're super excited and passionate about? No, definitely not. So. Right. Yeah. I can't agree more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's nothing like having those experiences where it's different than that. That um, kind of brings me back to like, that's not the right way. You know, like, um, you know, the designer builder, are on the same team. We both have the same client and that should be our goal is to give the client the best, um, the best performance we both can. And, um, yeah, so I can't agree more. Uh, that, that's kind of a, a huge, huge thing for me. Yeah. And I know, um, you know, we've talked about climate change on the podcast. We've talked about a lot of things. Um, even Alan brought up last time, you know, as a passive house consultant, the best passive house buildings are bigger buildings that house more people. And yet this is the United States. Everybody wants to have a single family home, but if we make better single family homes and not everybody can afford them, we might make bigger passive house buildings and we may change some of the culture in the United States. I don't know. That could be wishful thinking. Um, but because we've sort of made cheaper, crappier single family homes available to, to more. I mean, yeah, rural areas, it, it's just a thing, you know, and we right. have to be able right. to provide somewhat for them. I mean, I do community housing. It was great to have some habitat individuals on to talk about that, but yeah, you know, we have high performance community housing that's built by homeowners who you know don't have that skill set so i thought it was really important to also talk about like it doesn't have to be super complicated like it's really great if you've got you know an r75 wall system that's got all this stuff but that's kind of the exception to, to the norm you know here's a, a metrics for for high performance like what's the target that you're aiming for i mean it doesn't have to be passive house for sure but is it like a btus for per square foot like how do we get to a point and somebody brought it up i think during the recording like is it a hers rating is it a btus per square foot is there some way to kind of compare the miles per gallon on houses like we do with cars and i i think that's what like a hers rating does right um yeah i, I guess we can kind of go down a rabbit hole there's i think there's too many certifications Right. So like in, in our area, we have EPS, like energy performance score. 
and and they just changed it and so now it's like a one to ten you know which is it drives me nuts because like i think why not why not have like hers that's like nationwide so if someone moves from north carolina to california or to oregon or whatever like then everyone would kind of understand you know zero mean you know is best and, and whatever but you throw in uh you know this area has has this thing it's one to ten and this is one to two hundred and then this is you know all over the place so it gets really confusing um but i don't know how realistic it is that we're going to actually have one uh form of, of measurement i don't know that there'll be one rating system and the the thing that was great about rating systems is it pushed people to do better which was awesome it gave them some kind of metric to to aim for you know at first with lead it was like oh you had to get these points but you know now we have lead and we have energy star and we have hers and we have passive house and we have the living building challenge and you know there are so many of them that i think people shy away from building science and getting more knowledge in building science because they feel like they have to participate in one of these right. rating systems like there's no really easy way to just say you know okay here's the BTUs per square foot that we're, we're trying. And I don't know if that needs to come from the code. Like it's great that the code is getting better, but it's not giving education on how to meet any of those targets. And, you know, as you can see in some of the more rural communities, they strike the things that make, you know, that are, that make the most improvement because there's something in the, I don't know if it's the building industry. I saw, um, on one, I can't remember what state it was. It seemed that the National Home Builders Association was like, oh no, we want to strike all this stuff out of the energy code. It's, there was somebody pushing that from their end because it was a, a little bit more difficult. But in 2008, when people didn't get back into the building market, we had a labor shortage. So if we just make it harder to build maybe we won't have a labor shortage anymore <laughs> right <laughs> we solved two problems at once <laughs> right right yeah well we had uh orion basically kind of did the same thing the the builders association they have pretty strong lobbyists and so um i'm gonna back up and i have a lot of say sayings one of my favorite sayings is uh a builder will do anything you as long as their grandfather did it first. Oh, I saw that. Did you post that <laughs> online? I think, oh, I, I thought did. it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it cracks me up. And I didn't come up with it. I'm not smart enough. But um, but I, I heard it. I'm like, oh, my God, that is so, so true. It's like your, your average builder is so hesitant. And it's probably because of liability. And that part makes sense. But consider um, kind of... The information you're getting, consider where you're getting it from. And, and there's a lot of smart people out there. Like you said, there's not one person that knows everything, right? And so um, that is why I like the Instagram building science community because it's pretty awesome how there's, you know, you guys um, all on the East Coast and um, things are a little bit different there, but, but not that different. And science is always science. And so to understand, you know, why you guys do something that's maybe a little bit different um, understand why. And it's like, okay, does that apply to my environment or not? Uh, and if it does, it's like, what can I get from that? And, and so it's really cool to, to keep an open mind and, and um, not necessarily try different things on other people's houses, but keep an open mind and understand why are people doing what they're doing. People's homes are a, a very, very important. It's usually the most you know, money that someone's going to spend on something. 
but it's like uh, with this shelter in, in place that we have now, our homes should be shelters, right? And they should be healthy. And so that's kind of, that's why I'm in a uh, high performance building is it's really for the health. It's not really the energy savings. I mean, that's kind of a side benefit. We need to stop talking about our buildings economically. And, you know, I'm a huge uh, panelization fan. And I think, you know, people keep saying, oh, well, I can stick build it cheaper than I can panelize it. And, and it makes me want to sort of say, well, yeah, but everything that we learned to manufacture was always more expensive when we first started doing it. The more people who get on board, the more people who are doing, the more productive these factories can be, the more stuff you can get done on there. And the more that you can take the, the client out of your building shell and let them decide the things that are really important and say, hey, this is what it costs to build a building shell. This is your budget. This is what you have left to do with that. And to get the real estate and appraisers on board with adding value to things that add value. Um, because nobody asks for return on investment on a granite countertop, you know, but everybody wants you to prove that your building shell has some kind of return on investment. And I wanna say, nope, that's just the basis. That's the baseline for building a good structure. And um, I say that a lot, people will ask me like, oh, how did you become you know, a high performance architect? And I said, I stopped telling people I did anything else. I am a self-professed building science nerd. Like I love getting on here. I like getting in the weeds. I like learning the new stuff. But when you're talking to, you know, a homeowner or a real estate agent, or even sometimes, um, you know, other building professionals, they, they glaze over and they're not interested in the deep down dive into all the details. They want to hear that it's going to be healthier when they live there. I mean, even people, who have seasonal allergies and you know they just need they need summertime ventilation just for you know the month of may when you know even myself i lived in dc for two years and i was terribly allergic to the cherry blossoms which are absolutely beautiful in dc but you drive down the street and your eyes are just you know watering so for for the month of may i could just stay inside with filtered air, you know, and that would have been it been huge. But you're right, there are all these people who are sheltering in place now. Um, I can't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago. I'm starting to lose track of time with this whole thing. I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't know. What, uh, <laughs> but um, I recorded with with Allison Bales. And, you know, he he wrote a podcast and I actually um, not a podcast. He wrote an article and actually nicknamed the podcast after it. Like, are you breathing possum? Because that's, that's something that people don't think about. Like they, they're like, oh no, you know, it has to be leaky. I'm like, do you know where that air is coming from? Have you been in your attic? If you've been in your attic, you'd never want to breathe that. Right. So. Um, I can't agree more. Coming out of this, um, coming out of this uh, situation, I think that more people are going to have a stricter focus on the healthy indoor air quality of either the place where they work or the place where they live. Um, if, if we get nothing else out of it, hopefully we've, we've jumped that gap and that, um, and I don't know if it'll be the BS and beer show or the fact that people are at home and there's just access to more stuff, but, uh, that we, we've given place people a place to land that says, here's some building science knowledge. Here are some people in the community, good people wanting to share the knowledge. Yes. Which is exciting. Yes. It's, it's very, very cool. And I don't know what it is about um, 
that community that is willing to share because your average builder um, does not like sharing, right? They kind of keep things close to their chest and, and I personally disagree with that, but, um, but it's, it's so refreshing to, to be able to, to reach out to folks and say, Hey, what do you, you know, what do you think? And um, I, I was against Jake on that, the first round of, of the wall assembly. And I hadn't, I didn't <laughs> think I was going to beat him, but it was fun uh, talking a lot of trash. That, that was, that was a lot of fun. And so it was, <laughs> it is fun because everybody knows it's in good humor. Right. You know, right. everybody knows that, whatever wall system got put up there was going to be better than anything code built right. that was out there. It's right. just fun. It's yeah. fun stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it was funny you say, um, you know, a, a building science nerd. I too am a building science nerd and uh, my wife's tired of me, <laughs> me talking to people about building science. And so, you know, but I always say, it's like, well, they ask, you know, they're like, so, you know, what do you do? And, you know, I don't, you know, people think, um, I know maybe that's, that I feel like I need to explain why um, I do what I do and that I, I do actually think of science when I when I build and I don't just put sticks up you know like I don't just put a you know a box to to store things you know that's a garage like do you want to live in a garage not me your Allison Bale's uh, title of are you breathing possum I posted a picture of a underfloor that had you know actually had raw sewage that was leaking in it and it was gr super gross right um I don't know what's worse, worse a dead possum or raw sewage, but either one is very, very bad. Right? Both of them are disgusting <laughs> right, exactly. and really bad for your health. Yes. So when a house is breathing, that's what you are breathing. And so, uh, no, thank you. I, I don't want to be right. breathing any of that stuff. And uh, so that's what, like, that's why I kind of get into the science stuff with, with people. Because, um, you know, you think of a building, you think a guy in a truck and his dog and you know, what does he know? Um, you know, he, he didn't go to college. And so he got into construction, um, which there's a lot of people that do that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's a lot of bright folks out there. Um, and I do love what, what Matt's doing is getting the, the youth out there and is teaching some, some building, but also science. And it's, it's really awesome. I also liked your interview with that, with his student. I would hire her any minute she'd come up to Ben and I, I definitely would give her a job. It'd be awesome. That's what I said to her. I said, you know, be careful what you wish for because pretty much <laughs> anybody would hire you at right. this point. You know, you just, you have the right attitude about it. You know, I asked her what was, you know, what was the biggest hurdle? And she said, there aren't any. Right. And I think that is the biggest thing in building right now. That's what I love about um, a lot of the builders that I've created these design build teams with is there isn't a hurdle if something goes wrong or we have to do something differently. You get the whole team together and like, okay, what's the solution to this problem? And because, you know, we're not seeing as many people jumping into the trades, right. you know, before I think in order to get people excited about building, we have to think about it in a different way. And the comment that I get the most is, oh, you are really passionate about what you do. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I, I am. And I think that rubs off and that's how you get other people really interested in it is that you're super excited about what you do. And then you pass that on to, to someone else. How do we tie together the things that you're interested in and skills that are really important? And um, this is gonna sound terrible because I'm an architect and obviously I went to college and I did all of that stuff, but I think we send too many kids to college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like not everyone is suited 
for that environment. Right. And that's totally fine. There's, and I do think that's actually changing a little bit, right? I mean, there's a lot of the, the high-tech kind of, you know, Google and those guys that, that are not necessarily um, requiring degrees. And I, I think that's, that's great. You know, for whatever reason, maybe uh, college is not the right thing. Maybe they couldn't afford it. They couldn't make it happen. Uh, whatever the case might be, um, you look at someone and they're, um, I, I, you're right in that it's that attitude, right? That there are no hurdles. Like that was, that was awesome because I feel like almost anything could be fixed or anything um, could be accomplished. Almost anything, right? If you have the right attitude and so uh, yeah so a, a degree doesn't necessarily give somebody that right attitude and um, absolutely I mean so architecture school definitely taught me how to design it maybe taught me how to think about things differently and there might have been some inherent um, building science things that just kind of came naturally with that if you study the history of architecture way back to the ancient Romans they knew about thermal mass and pointing their buildings to the south and I mean there were just some things that before we had all of this mechanical stuff that could allow you to do other things um, we had some just good practice you know so so there were things that I, I learned sure um, but then architecture school doesn't teach you how to build anything mm -hmm. um, I was lucky because I my grandfather is a contractor and um, so we grew up doing kind of habitat for humanity my dad's a dairy farmer like my dad taught us how to change the oil and change a tire mm -hmm. and everything else too <laughs> and so architecture school didn't really teach you how to build something taught you how to think differently which i think is a critical skill that was that was good but i didn't learn building science until i got out of school and i started working in the field and i thought i'm missing something here that i don't know you know when i started with lead and then you know i worked my way up i did just um energy auditing then the market dropped out i thought this is Maine. It's cold here. What do they need? How do I become a better architect? Because there's something specific here that that we need to do better with. And, you know, that led to BPI and then hers Raider and then Passive House. And, you know, it's, it was sort of the joke when I took the Passive House class. You know, the guy's like, why are you here? I'm like, well, you have to teach me something I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's something as part of this certification I don't know yet. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah that's awesome. As the codes get better, we need to have more education because we're going to end up with some really bad things right. that are going to happen because people are attempting to meet the code. I can't remember it was on one of the BS and beer groups. You could put in a range vent hood or a dehumidifier and like these two things are not the same. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. They don't do the same thing. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and that was written in somebody's code somewhere because they thought of the one thing, which was moisture. We got to take care of the moisture, but they didn't think about any of the other reasons as to why you you might have a range vent hood or, you know, so we haven't, we haven't quite gotten the leap of, you know, yes, we need to improve the insulation. Yes, there are five different types of board insulation, but no, they're not all created equal, mm -hmm. you know? Right. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. And I think I, last time we, we spoke, I, I commented on, um, you know, requiring some building science as part of continued ed for, for um, contractor's license. And, and I know you said that your area doesn't actually require a contractor's license. So uh, we do not have any contractor <laughs> yeah. licensing, which is really interesting. It is um, interesting. And yes. I, have to, <laughs> I have to say that um, architects 
not all of the states require continuing education for architects either. So I have to have a license to be an architect in the state of Maine, but I don't have to do continuing education. Obviously, it's you know, recommended that you do, and I'm licensed in more than one state, so I have to do it for other states. And because I'm a HERS writer, I usually end up having to do a certain number of continuing education. But um, for architects, there's a category health, safety, and welfare. That doesn't really narrow it down to building science. You could do lots of things in that category and get your continuing education and never touch on the building science aspect. True, true. Yeah, I'm assuming they're allowing you to explore what interests you, right? As long as you're continuing your education, then it's a good thing, which is which it is true. And we obviously care about building science and there are other people who care about things that are part of the building world. And, you know, architects, um, although there are a lot of residential architects, a lot of architects are commercial healthcare. And so they have to take some different, you know, they need different important continuing education that is, and how you treat a commercial building as far as building science is really different than how you treat, you know, a residential structure. For sure. Good building is about control, right? Um, and that's why you build a building that's tight and you don't allow it to breathe. You, you, you control your environment. What do you want your environment to be like? Avoid mold growth, uh, avoid, you know, like pollen coming in your house or smoke. You know, the weather might be great. You know, a lot of times the arguments, you know, you don't have to build tight, open a window. It's like, well, if it's there's a big forest fire out there, I don't want to open my window and you probably don't either. Or if it's five degrees outside, I'm not going to open my window. So, um, yeah, you know, if everything's ideal, then sure, open your window and you can turn off your VRB, but um, not always. So it's about control. Right. And, you know, in different parts of the country, like um, when I recorded with Betty in Florida, like they're basically encouraged to never open their windows because there's so much moisture in Florida all the time that you're trying to combat that aspect of it. But, you know, even here in Maine, where we'll say, oh, you don't, you know, you don't really need air conditioning. If you have a really well, really insulated building, you, do, you still don't need air conditioning and you know maybe you turn your ear beyond maybe you don't um my passive house friend matt down in new york um now he's like us he's really interested in building science and so he'll monitor whether or not it's going to be cool enough and the humidity is going to be no low enough to do like nighttime cooling and then go around and open all the windows I don't think that we can expect most homeowners to get to that level. And so a lot of the discussion that I have and a lot that leads towards, you know, what does make it, a, you know, a better build, more high performance, more, you know, what does high performance even mean? There were a lot of people on the panel who were like, oh, high performance now is a little bit like greenwashing. Like, <laughs> how do we come up with a, a better name for that? But a lot of it is talking to and getting to know the owner. Like, we do a lot of zero energy or zero energy ready houses, but I can't guarantee you it would be zero energy because I don't know what you're going to do when you move right. in. Right. <laughs> you yep. know, I don't, I don't know how you're going to, you know, live in this house or um, back in 2015, we built one of the first houses in our solar subdivision and the builder that I built it with lived there because we wanted to test it. You know, just like you said, you don't want to go up to people and just be like, we're going to try this new thing <laughs> right. on your house. 
Yeah. So we test a lot of things with her where she'll live in the house and we'll do, you know, different things. And um, so she lived there for two years, but it was really interesting. It was her and her two kids in this, you know, two and a half bed, uh, two and a half bath, three bedroom, little farmhouse um, without the connectors, just under 1700 square feet. Um, but her kids were, I think they were like nine and 12, you know, so they were, they were like, you still struggled to get them to take a shower every day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they played outside a mm -hmm. lot. And then she moved to um, another house in our subdivision. And of course we tried other things because <laughs> right. fun. And, um, but now her kids are 14 and 16, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a totally different environment with teenagers. Right. And even though the house is, roughly close to the same square footage um, has a slightly different layout. How they use the house now is different than how they used the house five years ago. Right. And so that's been really an interesting scenario is occupant behavior is so totally different yep. in every structure. And you have to talk to the people about how they're going to use it, how they plan to use it, how they plan to move forward with it. We get a lot of requests for first floor bedrooms mm -hmm. because people want to age in place. And is there a way when your kids go off to college and they're not coming home to separate the spaces and live on one floor or, you know, so, so that's been kind of fun. Although when your BTU load is so small, it almost doesn't, matter like it was sort of this joke the first house was 1700 square feet we had three heat pumps one in the basement one on the first floor one on the second floor the one in the basement dehumidified the basement mm -hmm. just to keep any moisture mm -hmm. issues the one on the first floor heated the house and the one on the second floor air conditioned for those <laughs> like two years and like that that was it that was how they right. worked you know and so it was it was really interesting to see that dynamic like they didn't all need to be on to cover the heat right, load in right. the house i wish i could live in every house that i build so that i can see how it how it lives right how the house lives and how the people live so part of like designing and building that is so fun is to have these conversations with folks during the design phase right and and try to get an idea of, of how they would use the space and and how they would grow into the space too, right? Like like you said, if someone has you know kids that are you know around ten years old, and okay, how long do you plan on living there? Because five years, you know, fifteen. My my oldest son is eleven, and he's eating like crazy right now. Like he just he's he's about to like go through this growth spurt that my wife and I last night were like, oh my God, we finished dinner and like maybe five minutes, five minutes later, he's in the kitchen snacking on stuff, like just nonstop. So it's like, oh my God, we're going to, we're in for it, right? He's about to like grow out of this house. So, so like, yeah, you're like, like, okay. So at around that age, you know, five years is a, a, a pretty big difference. And like to think about, okay, how are they going to live in this house in five years and, and see if, uh, if you, if you, pull off your your goals right you know to go back i i for the most part stay pretty good friends with my clients and and i love to to go back and we'll go over and have dinner and and just kind of find out what um you know what worked and what didn't and uh, you know what didn't work is actually more important you know the stuff that worked is great pat on the back you know whatever you feel good but i 
love to learn and like okay let's not do that next time you know when something doesn't work so that part's so cool that's another really critical part to having an integrated design team is as the architect i could still put things into a plan that didn't work if i'm not participating in the build aspect of it and so I might have asked you to do something new that you've never done. You go out and you do it. If you don't tell me it was really hard or it was really labor intensive or like, yeah, that that continuous fully adhered um, WRB is great on a one story house, but on a two story house where you're standing on scaffolding and trying to put it up on the second floor, like, oh, it gets a whole lot more complicated that time around. Like, you don't know that if you don't get to stay involved. So I like to do that. I like to stay involved with my builders. As a HERS raider, I'm also going and, you know, checking on was the insulation installed correctly? Did we get this in beforehand? You know, how does this work? And then going back at the end, like, is the ERV actually running the amount of ventilation that we thought that it was? And, oh yeah, like, did you clean, did you, did you have a conversation with the heat pump installer? Did they tell you how to clean all this? Did they set you up with a maintenance schedule? Like this is, you know, some of these things that you have to do. Um, and the projects that I've gotten to stay involved on, I've learned, you know, what, what didn't go well, what wasn't easy, what was easy, you know, we've adapted every time moving forward to try to figure out, you know, I mean, just random things that you have, haven't really, like, if you've never experienced it, you don't know, like we go out and you think, oh, there's all this space on this job site. We've got plenty of room to do whatever. And then you find out like, oh, you don't actually have enough room to use the lull to pick something off of a truck. Like, oh, well, okay. Well, now that just got a whole lot more complicated. So some things you learn the hard way, some right. things other people <laughs> tell you, which is nice. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but I agree is that's how everybody gets better. That's how building gets better. That's how architects get better. That's how, you know, is that we we stay open-minded and you know the discussion was like oh don't use those builders yeah. if they're you know undermining and and in some cases you might have a builder <laughs> where you're like no yeah. definitely not but in other cases i think just just getting everybody's mm -hmm. investment from the beginning is you know that you're you're guy on site who's in charge of the air barriers invested in hitting that number you know you're i hope as we come out of this we're gonna have a little bit more thought i don't know maybe somebody said that i think on there it's just it, it's thoughtful you know travis with his caulking and caring and taping and trying like just being thoughtful we do a lot of double walls because that's really easy i mean it's it does take up space for sure but it's really easy. It literally is just two of the same thing versus now I'm overhanging the exterior foundation that I've got to cover, that I've got to attach this on here and how straight is it and it warped and oh, what's my extension jam now? My window's in the middle of my wall instead of the exterior of my wall. I'm like, oh, now I'm relying on the tape as my flashing detail. I'm like, well, let's hope that the tape lasts for 30 years without leaking you know there's there's just so many things that can add complication just a simple air barrier done correctly makes a vast improvement and sometimes with the habitat houses that's all they can afford to do you know yeah they, they have 50 volunteers and so they say here's a caulking gun there's a gap fill it go just do it right and uh it was funny because i was talking to someone who used to work for habitat and like didn't have stuff for them to do. And when they would run run out of things for them to do, 
she would say, here, here's a caulking gun, go fill gaps, right? <laughs> go <laughs> caulk something. And, uh, and, and they, and it's cool to see that Habitat is, is doing such, such great work. It helps out to get a lot of stuff donated, but true affordable housing is one that doesn't like, you know, cost a lot to maintain, right? One, one that's healthy. And so the occupants aren't getting sick. Like that's not very affordable or, or they're, you know, spending a lot of money on maintaining a house. Like that's not affordable. So I do like hearing that there's, you know, uh, our local habitat is working on, on doing net zero construction and it's, and actually panelization as well. Um, which is super cool. And so it's neat that, that they are trying things that are not necessarily the norm and, um, and all for a good, a good cause, like a good reason. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, if you're, you're building homes for folks in, in need, you're not helping them by, you know, putting up a piece of crap that that's going to ice dam and that's going to, um, you know, mold and, or cost a lot to, to maintain. I've been a big proponent for making them more and more efficient um, in a simpler way, just because that's what we should, you know, we need to be talking operational energy. We need to be talking about what does it cost to live here afterwards? And what does it, you know, what did it cost to get here? Obviously we need to build high performance, but at the same time we need to say, okay, you know, this is your mortgage, that's great, you can afford it, but this is what it will also cost you to, to live here, to stay here, to maintain this. That's the best service that you can offer to someone. I agree. I agree. Right. And whatever the, the fuel is, whether it's electricity, fuel, oil, gas, whatever, using less of it is better. As an architect, I obviously feel strongly about design. I know there are a lot of builders who build without designers, which is okay. There are some great builders. There are also some really terrible architects. Well, let's be honest. There are bad architects and bad builders. There are good architects and good builders. But a really well-designed building is always going to be your first and best way to approach high performance. And we do that in simple ways, you know, orienting itself. As long as you don't have some major geological issue on your site that makes that more complicated or your driveway a thousand feet long or something, that usually is free. And it's always more cost effective to have more insulation and less windows. So if you can really make the way you feel in your space by positioning your windows in the right place, instead of having more of them, just like more glass, more glass, more glass, like for us in Maine, more glass is not the right answer. (laughs) No matter how efficient those beautiful treble pane European windows are at R11 or R15, I don't even remember what I saw, that's still significantly less than the wall value. You know, if you're going for 20, 40, 60, then, you know, in your R40 wall system, an R10 window is still going to be the worst performing part of your structure. So if you just have less of that in a better location and, you know, everybody wants them all to be operable, but do you open every single window in your house? If you're trying to promote ventilation, like if you're doing attic ventilation, you need high and low venting. So you can't just have a whole bunch of holes. That doesn't promote venting. <laughs> you're in the strategic locations. And so when you start talking about that and having, and if you're never going to open your windows, then let's only make the ones operable that the code says you have to have operable to get out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Done. You know, everything else is a fixed plane. That's going to be the most 
efficient window right. you can put in. Doesn't open, just a it, piece of glass. It's pretty funny how um, people look at me when I say, I wouldn't have any windows open if it were up to me, right? Um, so my wife and I are building our house right now. And, and, um, and I've pretty much said that. I'm like, you know, let's only have the windows in the bedrooms that need to be operable for code and everything else, fix them. There's why, why are we going to have the kitchen window be operable? Um, first of all, it opens to our neighbor, right? Like, I don't want to smell what they're cooking, whatever, or whatever is happening. I'm not going to, I'm not going to open it. I'm going to have the ERV running the whole time. Right. And so that I kept having a, even when I was ordering the windows, uh, the rep kept saying, are you sure you don't want it? You know, the kitchen window to be operable. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> well, and the kitchen window is always the most difficult window to open. You either have to lean over the sink, you're, <laughs> right, you're right. too short to open it, or, you know, we've got things on the counter. Like there's always things on my kitchen window sill. So then, oh, like a, it's a crank out or whatever you, and if you have, tilt and turn triple panes it opens in over your sink like you're never going to open that that is just not functional true true right so why why spend the money on making it operable why not fix it and then you can put more money towards the glazing right get right. i would say get the best glazing you can afford and so exactly minimize the the windows like you know we don't there's one side of our house that that uh faces towards a uh, a neighbor where we're like, okay, we don't need to be looking into their house. Like let's put higher windows, smaller windows on this side. And there's a, a part of the house, the back that has a view we're like, okay, there's value in seeing the outdoors from the inside. There's absolutely a value. And, and so I'm not, I'm not against all, you know, windows in general, but pick and choose. That's part of smart design. Don't just go windows everywhere. It's like, meanwhile, you're looking at your neighbor's trash or whatever you're looking at. It's like, that's, that's not doing anybody any favors. So let's think about what you're doing. Be a little more thoughtful. There are so many ways that I think that we can get creative on how to work with our current knowledge, how to build more high performance and how to pick and choose the things that that's how you value engineer where your windows are located, not the quality of your window. I'm personally, you've probably heard me talk about it on the podcast. I'm personally anti-basement uh -huh. and <laughs> anti lots of square footage. Yep. Um, on that's, that's because I, a really well-designed house has a place for all of the things that you need. And I'm not going to tell you how many things that you need. You might need more things than I do. Like my husband and I don't have kids. We have a dog. So I'm going to need things for the dog that people who don't have dogs don't need. The same respect, you know, we're going to need less things because we don't have kids. You know, we don't, two bedrooms is more than enough, um, but we also like to entertain. So I'm personally a small bed bedroom, bigger living, or well, not even necessarily bigger, but open concept kitchen living room dining room. That's how we live our lives. And so planning for that, having the right amount of square footage and everything. No, we bought an existing house. We do plan to do a deep energy retrofit on it. And I wanted to work with something that had good bones, that had a good flow, and then I could work out from there. Um, you know, had deep overhangs, which is great. So I can add more, like it has two by four walls. And so, you know, got to add more, but it was a smaller footprint and it had a it does have a basement. I know I'm anti-basement. It has a basement. It has a walkout because of the way that it's built. So it really has two levels, not so much that it has a basement, but we have a utility room and I keep threatening my husband that I'm just going to slowly 
work my way through it until it's basically empty. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think if you have less square footage, you have less of an aptitude to collect things. And as we come out of this COVID-19 now, um, I play a good extrovert on the podcast and on BS and beer, but I'm actually an introvert. I like to be at home. I like to be, you know, by myself, but there's a large percentage of our population is going to feel a need to connect with other people. Right. So I'm hoping that as we move maybe a little bit out of consumerism and more into connection coming out of this, we'll stop using like, oh, I have to have this minimum square footage numbers. Right. No, what do you need in order to be really supportive of your family? And if you are the type of family that likes to go out and connect with people and do all of that, we can provide less square footage. You won't need as much. You'll have more money to do those things mm-hmm. that you know, you're going out to do. Or um, Maine tends to be a place that people seem to want to retire. So those people are now going to be really concerned about their retirement and what they have left in it. And what they need to live on, you know, moving forward. And right. so if we're talking operational energy of a structure, that's going to be important. Like what's it going to cost me to live here when I retire? Yeah. It all goes back to smart design, right? Like why are you doing like, yeah. Why are we, why are you building this house? What is, you know, what, what are your goals? And yeah. Yeah. You don't just throw something up. Um, you know, and that's why I like custom building, um, <laughs> because it's, it's specific and, and, um, I'm not just putting out product out there, right. Um, homes are a, a big deal and to treat a, a house like a product is, uh, I don't know, it's not, um, I'm sure there's plenty of like spec builders that, that do, I've done a couple of specs and I, I built them the way I normally build the really good buildings, but I think that's not the norm. You know, like a, a big production spec builder that just kind of does code only. What's the what's the fun in that? I mean, you know, they they I'm sure they make their money and that and that's fine. That's all that's in it for them is money, and so we've got to take the economics out of the equation so that that stops happening. I because I I think that there is a place in the market for pre-designed plan sets, but I'm a big proponent of a pre-designed plan set for your specific environment. We have eight climate zones in the United States. What you can build in climate zone two, you can't build in climate zone seven. It's just not possible. And even the difference between, you know, different parts of climate zones, because not only do we have seven or eight climate zones, we've got everywhere from wet to dry in between, hot and dry, hot and wet. You know, there's there's so much that you have to take into account for that, for building science, which is why I think that there needs to be, um, to hit a target market, because maybe not everybody can afford a full design team, to hit that market that is kind of in the middle, that knows that they want to do a little bit better. You know, here's a plan set to start with that's custom designed for your target area of the country. And then that person is also involved for maybe three to five site visits to A, put it on the site with you because that's the first thing that everybody gets wrong. It's the difference between an eco community or an eco village and a subdivision. You know, if you didn't think about how you placed the houses in that, then you really just have a bad subdivision. And those are the ones that people drive in, they drive in their garage, they go in their house and they don't interact with any of their neighbors. And so we need to move away from that as a as a idea of 
neighborhoods and how we can't just house people, we have to house people well. But then those plan sets are involved so that you as a homeowner aren't expected to understand all the parts and pieces of it. You don't understand what your doctor does during the whole treatment. You shouldn't necessarily have to understand the way the structure goes together and how that's important. You just need to know what's important to you and how to get it. Somebody on your team needs to be involved, whether it was designed by an architect as a pre-designed plan or a builder or a designer, and then is given to a HERS rater to help it make its way through the construction process um, and answer questions. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but that's where we're trying to go with our pre-designed plan sets is like, you don't just get the plans. You get some modified design time. You don't get to change the structure, but you can change the stuff in the inside. And then you have that person who's your advocate through the project so that you get exactly what you're asked for. And I think that is the future of spec build and spec design. And whether that's a person who then can work for the developer and help the developer through it, or if it's a person that's helping an individual homeowner, uh, that's where I think we need to get with pre-designed plan sets in between high-end custom, high-performance houses and the other things that people are building. <laughs> is, that, is that a polite way to put that? <laughs> Those people are not listening. Those people are not listening to this podcast. No, no, no they're not. No, they're not. But I, I, I also do, do agree that um, it might sound awful for a homeowner to hear this, but to take the, the, the homeowner out of the um, kind of the assembly, right? Like we we're talking about. So like my, uh, my assembly, I've done that since 2014, I think. So I think getting close to about 20 buildings that I've done that has that assembly modified a little bit, but um, I don't give them the option. I'll, I'll give them the option. Like if someone has, I'm talking to somebody right now who um, is very uh, chemically sensitive. And so I'm like, okay, so maybe sheep's wool insulation. It's like, oh, cool. I get an opportunity to, to use it. Definitely no spray foam, um, but you know, stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, I have my wall cavity. I have my exterior insulation. And like, there's some, some room in between there to to make some adjustments accordingly but um i don't ask uh, a client like what kind of exterior insulation do you want right. <laughs> you know they're gonna look at me like where what what are you talking about? how about we don't do that well and when you say. value engineer something you don't say oh okay well we could switch from our um, and i don't know uh, here's me admitting i don't remember what your wall system looks like and hopefully <sighs> i voted for you um <laughs> but I, like in the, well, i'll go with mine like in new england we use a lot of cellulose yeah. and when we're value engineering something yep, so do we I. don't go in there and say okay we'll take the cellulose out and we'll put fiberglass in like those aren't apples to apples and that's not a conversation you should ever have with a client it is a conversation that happens way too often but it shouldn't be something that happens. You know, if you want to go in and say, um, no, I'm also working with a client that has chemical sensitivities, which is fascinating for me because we're literally testing right. everything. Cause even though cellulose yeah. is probably one of the lowest, um, as far as it, it's still treated with borate and they could have a chemical mm -hmm. sensitivity to borate. And so, you know, yeah. we're testing absolutely everything. I mean, I called up the builder and yeah. I said, this is going to be the strangest request that I've ever asked you, but I need you to send a box of trash to this homeowner. Like I need you to send <laughs> a box of job site stuff. Like I need a piece of Romex yeah. wiring. I need a piece of Roxel. I need actual piece of your wood two by fours because 
um, wood has latent formaldehyde in it, which would not be an mm -hmm. issue for somebody living in an older house that's had time to breathe, but in a high performance house, which is really, really tight and wet wood new structure, you could have a chemical sensitivity to something that's not an issue for most people, but so I'm right. like, yep. he said, yes, that is probably the strangest thing somebody has ever asked me. And I'm like, okay, good. I, I okay. like to be the crazy person. You're just like, she wants what? She's asking right. me to do what? Um, but so it. it was, it was fun um, for me. Yeah. And part of the reason why I took that project on is this is the future. This is where we're going. This yeah. is where like we already yeah. are attempting to do as much foam free as possible. We do have occasionally where the way our assemblies go together that we've used something that we wouldn't maybe have wanted to, or we're trying to get around it as we move forward and we find more people having chemical sensitivities to things or the houses are getting tighter, even with a full ventilation system that first year or two can be a little bit tough. Yeah. Um, so we're doing, you know, air yep. quality testing to see what this is. We're testing products with, with homeowners and that's going to be the conversation moving forward is sensitivity, health, how you use your house. Square footage is just a number that they tax you on. So if you want to pay a lot more in taxes, <laughs> build higher square footage. Right. That's how I'm, that's how I'm going <laughs> to go. That's my thing moving forward oh you want to pay more taxes yeah. build a bigger house all right well, let's go bigger <laughs> yep <laughs> so did you um did you finish that project for the no uh, we're just getting chemically sensitive? we're just getting started on it we have our design set um and we are working on testing because we don't want to overload her with testing so testing a yeah. couple of materials right. at right. a time just right. to make sure we did yep. test um and had good success with a lot of the tapes and sealants that we wanted to use, which was what I was most concerned mm -hmm. about. So um, sure. we're not using any plywood, any TJIs, any open web floor framing. We're doing all dimensional lumber, all board sheathing, board flooring, board roofing. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're gonna do a natural unpainted, undipped cedar siding and uh, mm -hmm. metal mm -hmm. roof. So fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. um, awesome. And cellulose, hopefully. Although I did send her a piece of, yeah. Uh, rock wool as well because rock wool isn't produced as carbon free as cellulose is but it right. doesn't have yep. borate in it and it doesn't off gas mm -hmm. so if we have to we're going to try to do piers we're going to do a helical pier foundation oh, but cool. if we have ledge on the site which we're going to find out here now that roads are getting unposted and we can start digging if we have ledge on site then helical piers are kind of out and so we'll go to we'll go to a slab and if we've got to go to a slab i'm hoping that we can put rock wool in the slab instead of doing um foam so just trying to keep as much foam free as possible. So it'd be it'd be cool to see and, and hear about all the things that you did. I think that's that's maybe another podcast for you. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll see. Then you know, moving forward, like like we we're open to change, right? So I am open to change, and if I could find a, a better alternative to something, then I'm all for it. I appreciate you coming on today, and let's connect again. Uh, I enjoy talking to you. Awesome. We had Mike on a couple of weeks ago talking about aero barrier, so it was great to have him back on the podcast today to talk about building and construction, which is his primary job and what he's doing out 
in Oregon. So thanks again, Mike, for coming on. I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. If you haven't had the opportunity, join us on Thursday evenings for BS and Beer at 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. You can reach out to me, Emily, at matramarch.com, or you can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You can also catch it on our website at www.matramarch.com. Thank you.